It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks, to help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Welcome everyone to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. I am Ryan Muhammad with Becker's Healthcare and I'm thrilled to have with me, with me today, Dr. Martin Messamorosa, cardiologist at Geisinger. Doctor, it's so nice to talk with you today. How are you? Very well. Thank you for thank you for inviting me to to, to interact today. Yeah, of course. And to begin, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your background? Yeah, uh, my name is Martin Matsumura. I'm the uh, chief of cardiology for Geisinger Northeast. Um, Geisinger Health System is a very large integrated uh, delivery health system that spans a very large region of central and northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, Geisinger Northeast, my area, is centered in the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton region, uh, two moderate-sized cities that sit in the northeast corner of um, uh, of Pennsylvania. I've been here for eight years in my current capacity. Prior to that, I've had uh, some uh, uh, experience in academia at the University of Virginia in industry, doing drug development at GlaxoSmithKline and in private practice. So I've sort of done a little bit of, of, of just about every kind of work setting you can do in cardiology. Wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us that background. And to begin with um, the real questions of the podcast, I guess I should say, the first question I want to ask you, doctor, are what are the top three biggest issues in cardiology today that you're seeing? Yeah, there's so many issues that uh, that uh, we in healthcare and cardiology are dealing with. I sort of thought about frameworking them from starting at kind of the thirty thousand high level and then and then dropping down to the ground floor. And um, hopefully this will be of interest. You know, on the global level, kind of thirty thousand foot view. Um, you know, the the issue uh, that we're dealing with is, is is really the issues that you hear about from from everyone everywhere these days. You know, figuring out how to deliver care in a cost-effective manner to a larger and sicker population and doing that, uh, doing more with less, you know, due to uh, what everybody's talking about, the increased uh, labor costs, you know, the cost of supplies and the scarcity of the workforce, you know, all of which became uh, very apparent during and, and following the pandemic, uh, particularly at Geisinger in northeastern Pennsylvania, um, the fastest growing segment of our population is 65 and older, and that you know growth is going to continue uh, with time due to our uh, the our specific demographics. We continue to improve on keeping people healthy at the primary care level and manage chronic conditions, which is fantastic, but it obviously means that by the time they get to us in the specialty clinics or hospital, they tend to be sicker and um, than our traditional patient population. And again, we are asked to care for those patients uh, uh, with you know fewer and fewer resources and uh, more and more efficiently. So I think that's the, the, the high-level view. On the kind of local Geisinger Northeast level, uh, because we're a large system spread over a very large geographic area uh, serving different, uh, different communities, um, we're always challenged with how to deliver care appropriately and personally uh, without spreading ourselves too thin and being too redundant across our system. And I'll give you an example. In the Northeast, 
Uh, I mentioned that we are centered at, in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, market. Uh, those are two cities that um, sit about 15 miles apart. We um, uh, have made decisions to um, offer um, some of our high specialty um, uh, procedural uh, work, such as um, uh, structural uh, heart uh, interventions in both of those markets. Um, now, somebody might argue that in a different market that doesn't make sense, um, that that's redundancy, but we know our patients in the scranton Wilkesbury market uh, expect and, and really uh, prefer to get their care in the comfort and familiar surroundings of their local hospital in their local city. So we've made that decision to uh, uh, have that redundancy in our market, but that's always something we're faced with making those decisions. I think that um, in addition to that, because our our catchment is very geographically wide. Um, we need to find ways to care for patients that uh, allows us to go to the patient and, um, and and deliver care where the patients live. And in our system, we can have um, patients as far as 50 to 75 miles from our um, core clinics. In the past, we've we've uh, addressed this with outreach clinics, but even you know even outreach clinics don't address fully um, meeting the patient where they are. So we've uh, really uh, tried very hard and we're, uh, we're actively trying to leverage telehealth and virtual health uh, care services to, um, to better deliver care to our patients. Um, I noted that uh, yeah, one of your recent podcasts, you um, had representatives from Recora Health on. Um, Recora Health is a virtual cardiac rehab um, a company that we entered into a partnership with uh, several years ago to deliver virtual cardiac uh, rehab, again, where the patient is rather than trying to uh, bring the patients to our um, bricks and mortar cardiac rehabs. It worked very well in the pandemic and, and post-pandemic, it's proven to be a much better way to deliver cardiac rehab uh, where the patients exist. And it's really proof of principle that um, you can successfully leverage telehealth and virtual healthcare services to get healthcare that's meaningful to patients where they are, um, even in a ge geographically diverse um, system like we are. And then finally, I think on the ground level, um, a, a big issue in cardiology these days that we don't necessarily talk about in detail uh, as much is protecting providers from burnout. And, and, you know, burnout these days can come from some very unexpected sources. I, I think as an example, you know, you can focus on the nature of how communications occur between providers and hospital personnel, patients. Um, obviously, it's becoming more and more electronic. And we're interacting more and more with our patients via electronic portals. Um, and this has allowed us to cut labor costs by replacing staff functions with really more efficient electronic process. And I think this has really morphed into other areas such that um, providers these days are faced with a lot of electronic work uh, in such diverse areas as credentialing, scheduling, you know, CME, uh, keeping up with um, administrative tasks. And I think it's important to recognize that as a source of burnout, because in the past, even when I was starting out in cardiology, you, know, you could kind of gauge how overwhelmed the provider is um, uh, with administrative tasks by, you know, the line of, of staff outside uh, his or her door waiting to, 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 you know, have things executed, signed, what have you, and also the pile of charts on the, on their, on their desk. These days, 
you know, it's really hard to assess the enormity of the electronic pile of work that providers are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I think if, if it's not attended to and monitored very carefully, it can really be a source of, uh, of, of frustration, stress, and burnout for providers. So we're really actively uh, addressing uh, that issue and, and attempting to, 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 to address that in creative ways. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us that insight and what you're thinking about the three biggest issues in cardiology today. For you, how do you see heart care evolving over the next 18 months or so? You know, I think as as everyone in, in in healthcare in general sees the next 18 months as being very challenging, that um, we're going to be uh, expected to change the way in which we utilize labor and react to the constant pressure of having to do more with less. And this is really medicine across the board, not just cardiology. Um, it's going to mean changing, you know, in particular, it's going to mean changing some of the characteristics of um, of things that are sacred to providers, you know, the, the physician-patient relationship. I think it's going to become more digitally based, and I think we're going to have to really rethink the way we maintain and foster patient relationships as we increasingly connect with our patients through digital methods uh, and, and, and adapt those methods to best connect with and serve our patients. I think that is probably the, the, the most uh, dynamic issue that um, is going to uh, evolve over the next year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And Dr. Before I let you go, a couple last things. What are you excited about today? And also, what is making you nervous, whether it's something that you're working on or something that you're seeing in cardiology, anything like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll focus on the excited. <laughs> um, I think that um, we're in a really neat um, time in cardiology because I think that genetics and precision medicine are going to really explode and take center stage in the coming five to ten years. You know, I think uh, using using uh, oncology as an example, we've seen over the last decade how, you know, genetics, understanding the genetic basis of clinical disease and tailoring therapies based on those genetics has just absolutely revolutionized um, oncologic care and care of oncology patients. And I see the same thing happening uh, in cardiology in the, in the coming five to 10 years, where we will understand better the genetic basis of some of the diseases we've been treating for decades. And that will both allow us to uh, predict um, outcomes and pathology and the need for um, aggressive therapy for patients. Uh, it will allow us to better counsel patients on the heritability of diseases, that is screening, you know, screening siblings and screening children for diseases that afflict parents. And really most exciting, I think there's uh, in, in many pipelines, uh, drugs in development that are aimed at the genetic basis of, as I said, dr- uh, uh, diseases that we've traditionally treated on a more generic basis, such as, as heart failure um, and, and rhythm abnormalities. So I think that is really the most exciting and, um, and, and uh, exciting aspect of what's coming in cardiology. In terms of what's, you know, makes me nervous, I, you know, there's, as we've, as we've sort of touched on and others have touched on, there's just unprecedented industry headwinds that are challenging healthcare across the board because of, of the, the, the big things, you know, increasing cost of labor, uh, supplies and drugs, and the uh, decreasing scope of, of our workforce. I think that that is 
um, something that's going to require us to, you know, think outside the box and be very clever and very um, uh, proactive uh, to find solutions to um, uh, to uh, remedy those headwinds because I don't think they're changing in the near future. Thank you so much for the final thoughts. Did you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think that's it. Thank you. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Well, thank you again so much for those final thoughts, doctor. This has been an amazing discussion. So again, I want to thank you for coming on Becker's Healthcare. We really do appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Same. Thank you very much.